from the twisted realm of science and the darkest pits of reason comes chilling tales of godlessness. Bear witness to the unfathomable terror that is... The Good Atheist. Welcome to the GoodAtheist.net podcast. My name is Jacob Fortan. And I'm Krista Hendricks. On today's show, okay, here's, gonna, here's, the, here's the truth. We're a little bit late. I was supposed to put the show yesterday, but uh, I, uh, I couldn't do it. I could not do the show. I don't know why. I felt exhausted. I didn't, maybe it's like one of those, oh, you got to do something, and you just definitely don't want to do it. You ever have one of those days where you just don't want to get out of bed? That's every day. <laughs> every day you don't want to get out of bed. What but, time did uh, I get out of bed yesterday? You, Two, three, I don't even know. Eight. I really don't even know. But here's the thing. When I'm in bed, I'm still working. Yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> working in bed. Are you, yeah, but you've got to get out of that room. You know, that's not a good room for you to be in because it just totally fucks up with your sleep pattern. There were psychologists that were saying – no, not psychologists. There were doctors who were saying you shouldn't be doing all kinds of different activities in your bed. You should just keep it for sleeping, and that way you sleep better. Okay, except for <laughs> – I don't have any problem sleeping. Right. I sleep like a rock. I sleep 10 hours a night whenever I want. You know, I'm on a different sleep schedule than you. Don't say that. People are going to hate you. But, uh, I mean, I like working in bed in the morning. I like waking up, ah, hello morning, and then pulling over my laptop and going, what friendly people have emailed me today? And then, you know, working on my site or, or doing so orders and things. Have I been accused of being arrogant? Because that just sounded so arrogant coming out. <laughs> Be like, oh, what friendly people are constantly communicating with me. That's not arrogant. I'm appreciative of uh, their contact and okay. sweetness. I was just, I was just checking. You're I was a just jerk. checking. I am a jerk. Um, speaking of jerks, bad. or more, more effectively, non-jerks, I wanted to talk about firstly uh, Andy Scott and his little scholarship. He sent me a donation very recently, a very generous one, and he wanted specifically to sponsor ten new members. So I put up a post on the site. Uh, called uh, Andy Scott's Broke-Ass Scholarship. Yes, you can tell how much thought I put into this one. <laughs> and uh, and we ha- there were some amazing, amazing responses. Basically, it was just saying, why do you deserve, quote-unquote, a membership? Why should Andy give you a membership? I didn't make the choice of who gets it, so I, I don't look like the bad guy. That's the first lesson I learned. I'm like, I only want to be involved peripherally. Otherwise, it'll look like there's favoritism. <laughs> no, not me. Not involved in that level. So there were lots of really great response. And, you know, the first thing that I – that kind of like clued into my brain is actually the kind of people that make up the what is slowly becoming a community. Uh, when you read uh, – there's this one kid who was talking about his, – his, his online name is Sterling. And uh, a whole bunch of people, like after he said his story of being, you know, like in high school and and, and his situation, which I won't go into. You can read it on the site. But – Regardless, everyone was like, oh, you should give it to Sterling. Be like, yes, I believe that he deserves a membership. And I thought to myself, wow, everyone's so nice. I don't even know if I'm that nice. I just like everybody was saying, yeah, clearly this person deserves it. So he was the, the first to, to win it. There were um, seven more. So there's still two spots. So I'm, I'm, I'm waiting for Andy to tell me which ones uh, are going to win. But I really kind of like this idea. I hope it catches on uh, other people wanting to uh, give these scholarships, because it, it's what's great about it, I feel, is that everyone gets to reveal a little bit of their story, and I get to kind of understand this where, why isn't it everyone buying the bonus show? It's awesome. I want everyone to buy it. And then you're like, oh, some of these people are in awful situations. <laughs> <laughs> 
So that was pretty cool, and it put in my my mind the idea that I really need to get onto this whole forum thing. Like, people have been asking for it, and at first I wasn't sure how it was going to go because you know you put up a forum, and the worst thing you can have is for it to die, uh, you know, a lonely death. That's not what you want. So I guess once I started reading everybody's comments and all the different people that were there and just the kind of attitude that everyone had, I felt I felt like there was kind of like that it's time, that it's really time for me to seriously put some thought into this uh, and, and to get it done. Now, with that in mind, and hopefully we'll be talking about this in the next couple episodes, with that in mind, I want people to send me suggestions about what they're interested in in terms of a forum. Like, are there other forums that you go to that you've liked what were some of those things that you you found were really useful? Um, I don't want to reinvent the form wheel. I just want to find the parts of it that are good and eliminate the parts that are bad because sometimes it's just like a lot of dead weight in forms, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of shit you don't need. I just want something that works for everybody, and why not ask everybody that's going to be involved in this what their input is? So go to the site, and it's quite easy. There's the little email icon. You can email me, or you can even leave comments in this uh, podcast. And let's start the conversation about what you guys want for a form, and, uh, and I'll get it done. I don't know what, how fast that will be, though, <laughs> <laughs> knowing me. Maybe Carissa can sort of, like, crack the whip or something, yeah? Yeah. Well, I have to build a form for my site right now, so we'll just, you know. I'll show you what's going on and you, maybe inspire you. Okay, good. You'll show me the ropes in this whole forum nonsense <laughs> thing that I have to do. Um, on the show today, we're going to be having some discussions. So it's not, it's not a news show per se. There was a few emails that I received that I wanted to kind of talk about because I think they'll be great topics. And I love including everybody's emails into the shows. I think, I, at least I hope, that people out there are like, uh, excited about, oh, my goodness, yay, I was on the show and I, he read my letter. I mean, I love that shit on uh, any podcast. So I'm sure you're susceptible to that same kind of like, wee, it's all about me thing. <laughs> Now, if you recall, a couple of um, podcasts ago, I asked everybody to send me uh, some emails if they thought that we should have a discussion on faith. Now, fortunately, I didn't have enough response to make a whole show about Aww. it. Uh, but I want to talk about faith. I got such a great email from one fan that we're just going to talk about his email because he gives four responses to the whole faith thing. So, in in if I can just. Uh, rewind the tape back a little bit so to bring everybody up to speed we were talking about why uh, religious people dislike atheists and stuff like that and the topic of faith sort of came up at the end of it and we were saying like well what's the best way to discuss faith because that's the word everyone will use when you're having uh, a debate with someone who's religious they'll just go to that word they'll just say well it's my faith and you can't question it and they say well that's that's it case closed that's not case closed for us. So I wanted to see if we could generate a discussion. Hopefully this will prompt other people to do the same. So I thought we would first, we would start with some of his comments. First of all, he says that, uh, here's his first response. He says, your faith position, this is to the religious person, is not answerable. However, your decision to adopt a faith position is. Saying I have faith in X only says that you're choosing to agree with X without question or thought. It says nothing about the truth or correctness of X. In fact, it proves no information of X at all. That's a pretty neat way to do it, I think, saying like, okay, well, you've taken that position, uh, but it doesn't prove its, its truthfulness. Mm-hmm. Not bad. Not bad. We'll say for first one, yeah. What do you think would be a, sort of like a clever counter that they might try that, though? That, well, that, that's not their goal. Their goal is not to say that I'm proving it right because I don't need to because I have faith. Right. I'm not trying to prove it. Faith isn't about proof. It's about just believing in magical mystery 
powers of the universe. And, and you know what that would be like, right? Because you, you used to believe in that stuff. Yeah. This is why you're on the show. I need your, I need your <laughs> input. I have never thought these magical thoughts here. So I need a magic. So a person who had previously magically thought. Okay. Well, here's the problem. It, there is an inclination in a lot of the major religions to uh, believe in something without proof. There, are, when you can believe in God, even when you kind of think it's illogical, that's admirable. Right. I mean, if you can if you can look past that and feel God's presence and still believe it, even though it doesn't really make sense to you, that's a great thing. That that shows that you have, you know, presence of spirit or, you know, whatever strength. Yeah, exactly. Well, they like to religious people like to boast saying, like, well, faith isn't easy. And I can't imagine that it is. It's a form of cognitive dissonance. Let's just put it simply right where you believe in things that conflict with one another, but somehow seem to manage to make it work in your own brain. And I think all religious people, I mean, maybe this I'm speaking too broadly, but it's very likely that most religious people have a feeling that uh, maybe what they believe is crazy at some point, right? And that's why faith isn't easy, because every time you you let your mind slip and, and think, like, this kind of feels hokey or, or, you know, I don't really feel God's love. I feel actually like everything's very logical. You know, every, I think everybody has those off days. You feel like you have betrayed, you know, the essence of your religion whenever you do that. And you also kind of feel isolated, like, I must be the only one having these thoughts, blah, which is why I think people talk so often about how faith isn't easy. It's not easy to believe in something that makes no sense. No, you're right. It's not. So just <laughs> I can't imagine it. that it is. I can't imagine it is. Well, it reminds me uh, of a letter that we also that I was also going to talk about. And you, We're going to jump back and forth because I want to mention this letter. And uh, and this this person wrote in saying, oh, I, you know, I'm sure the topic is dead and buried, but I'm surprised you, Ryan, or some other listener didn't come up with this rather obvious answer. Uh, and the answer is because they secretly are atheists themselves, they fear what they know is lurking within their hearts. So it kind of goes along with what you're saying. I mean, in a, in a sense, if you have faith, if you're creating a mechanism for you to say, I will disregard evidence and continue to believe that's definitely because a part of you is like, this belief is unsustainable without this, without some kind of magical sphere where uh, you've just suddenly decided to contain the idea as being truthful rather than, you know, and it's protected. It's like that. You remember that silvery uh, texture in the Matrix, you know, when maybe it was getting <laughs> taken over? It's just a hard shell, silvery shell, and it's really hard and you can't penetrate it. And in that shell is basically your logic for why God exists. And it's. And it's the weakest ass shit you've ever seen in your life, but the faith shell, so shimmery, glassy, if you want. Yeah, you feel, you feel at least to some degree, it protects me. No, it, it protects you from knowledge, that's for sure. It protects you from actually asking interesting questions. It's like, why do people who question their faith, uh, you know, end up usually not believing? It's because when you, the, the, as soon as you apply intellectual integrity to what it is that you choose to believe, I, faith is impossible. Religion is impossible. It cannot survive. It cannot. It, it, it can't survive intellectual scrutiny. It just can't. It doesn't I, add up. I don't think that was a very fair statement to say that you know most people who question their faith end up as atheists. I don't think that's true at all. I think most people question their faith. Period. But we've only got a certain amount of atheists. I, I think if you if you question your faith to the, to a certain point of actually reading about it and like when you get excited about questioning your faith, that's when you're very likely to slip over into atheism. But I don't think it's a fair statement to say that people who just you know waver here and there are, are going to come over to our side. If that was true, we'd have a lot more atheists. 
I think there's to some degree people would if there was a lot more acceptance of it because it just when you when you kind of really are teetering around that edge, I think a lot of people decide they make the decision they're going to continue to believe because they don't want to lose all the benefits that they already have. Right now, you're 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 thinking of, thinking of it not from an, uh, a kind of intellectual integrity point of view, but you're you're thinking about it like a a person that's trying to survive in this world, this confusing world. In a lot of places, a religious community is your support network. I don't think it's that logical. I mean, when you believe something, usually it's because you were indoctrinated into it as a child, which means that your perception of reality, the way you see the universe yourself as a as a being in that universe, is entirely based on a foundation of, you know, what the church told you, what your parents told you about your God, about God, relationship with that God. So I think it's more than just like, oh, if I, you know, I think I think you're giving people in a way too much intellectual credit of saying, you know, they they like, well, my religion doesn't make a lot of sense, but oh, I like my friends, so I'm not going to be an atheist. I think it's more along the lines of, hey, you know, sometimes this doesn't make sense and sometimes I don't feel God's love. Oh, except for I only know how to live this way. I've only ever really thought about myself in terms of a child of God and how I'm, that makes me sort of special, but then also, you know, part of a larger community. And that's how I like to identify myself. And it's, you know, it's more than just the community and the not being accepted. It's, it's the difficulty and, and the overwhelm that comes with realizing walking away from God means completely reimagining the world you live in. That's exhausting. And, the older you get, the more embarrassing and difficult that experience can be. Well, you mentioned um, you mentioned the idea of, of, of embarrassing or, or even say like a, a person questions their faith alone. I think that when you question your faith alone, it's, it's almost like asking yourself philosophical questions without uh, knowing that anybody else had come up with those questions as well. You know, I think to some degree, a lot of people question their faith. It ends really with fairly abruptly where they may not know exactly how to question it. And there's still a lot of people, for instance, when they, when they start the process, they have inevitably certain issues, like, for instance, they still take the Bible at face value as being, this is a holy book. I, I accept this without really thinking about it. Like, if, if you were to do something to that Bible, let's say, drop it down a well or, 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 or burst into flames, they would have an emotional reaction if that is still occurring, then you're not really questioning your faith. You may be questioning elements of it, but how much, how much thought have you really given it? Uh, how, much, uh, you know, how much have you sought? I, I'm not saying that it's, uh, it's impossible that once a person really starts to delve deeply enough that they will, they, they're 100% inevitable. I don't really don't think that. But I do think that given all the circumstances, number one, where you don't have any societal pressure to believe, number two, where you have the information that's available to you to question your faith, and number three, you stop revering things without thinking about them, then I don't think there's any room left for faith. I think it just erodes and disappears. I think your, your understanding of the experience of faith is, is very um, – it's really close, but it's – I don't think you understand the intensity of it because to say that somebody who – who still gets an emotional reaction when somebody desecrates a Bible, but has been questioning their faith, isn't seriously questioning their faith, is to basically not understand what it is to believe, or to believe from the point of being a child. I mean, when I lost my faith, I lost my faith at about 15. It took me till the age of 19 before I stopped praying in my head. I couldn't help myself because it just, it was such a ritual of the way I talked myself up that I couldn't stop. You know, if I wanted something or if I, if I wanted to better understand something in my head, I would be like, 
you know, I'd have a little mini conversation with God. And I totally didn't believe in religion. And I still got emotional reactions from the cross. It took me a long time to finally put away my the, my grandmother's cross I got for my uh, first um, first communion, you know. I mean, I don't think you understand the way the human mind works in our reactions to things. Just because you have intellectually decided this is not a good idea does not mean you're not emotionally involved with it. Think about when you're in love with somebody and you break up with them and you're like, you know, you broke up. I do not want to be with this person. This person is bad for me. I did not enjoy our relationship. You still are hurt when you go on Facebook and you find out they're dating someone else or something. You know, when you when you when it's reminded to you, just because it logically makes sense does not mean your emotions are somewhere else. It's not fair to say just because you have an emotional reaction when a Bible is desecrated means you haven't really truly thought about your faith. No, I'm saying that it's kind of like the same way that, for instance, we have a we have a reaction. Say, if I give you a scarf. And, uh, and I ask you to wear it, and then you'll have another reaction if I tell you that the scarf was Jeffrey Dahmer's, right? You're going to have a kind of – you're right. You, ha- you will have an emotional reaction to things even despite you knowing that there's – number one, it might not even be his scarf. <laughs> number two, who, who cares, right? It, it, there's nothing that's being transferred onto you because of that. Um, so I do understand that the, the emotionally a person's attachment to it might not be based on, uh, you know, it, it's not based on logic. I admit this. What I'm saying, however, is that uh, the, the same way that say someone is in front of you at a grocery store and is slowly taking out fucking pennies and counting them <laughs> while they have this just gigantic bill to pay, and you're just about to lose your mind and get angry, um, that emotional is completely that emotion is completely valid. But you can. Hold that bitch at bay. You can hold the anger beasts at bay with just a little application of common sense and knowledge. That is, that's what I'm, like the little voice that speaks to you saying this is nonsense. The little voice that can normally not get through because of that thick shell of faith. I I think it eventually gets eroded. It just requires more time because it is, it's like a cancerous idea. It just cannot leave you. A lot of people, they will stop questioning once it starts getting to that point where it becomes uncomfortable. Uh, they just don't want to talk about it anymore. They might even become you know, non-theists. They don't even want it to be a concern. And I know plenty of people like that, you know, people that write in saying, like, oh, it used to not concern me. I used to not care and so on and so forth. I think to some degree that's also protecting yourself against the, the kind of ideas you used to have that are silly or dumb or that you feel um, like you were duped or tricked. You know, I talk a lot about my – old beliefs and conspiracy theories and all that other nonsense. And I find it rather embarrassing, but you have to talk about it, right? I'm not going to just be in denial. I'm not going to put that square that one away and be like, that never happened. I'm not going to worry about that. No, I think to some degree, even our own intellectual integrity, we we force ourselves to question absolutely everything, even things that we hold ourselves to to, to be valuable, like, because there's an emotional reaction. We have to question these. We have to. We are not logical species, okay? Mostly not. We are rationalizing rather than rational. I say just trust that shit. If you have an emotional reaction, it's probably the wrong reaction. (laughs) And that's it. That is it. I'm a huge emotion denier, though. Yeah. Yeah. All right, let's continue on with that. Uh, Here's the second one. Um, the answer, well, uh, you may well think that your belief in a religious worldview is equivalent to any other worldview. You are wrong. This is probably when someone says your belief is just another form of belief. You are wrong. Whilst everyone is entitled to an opinion, they're certainly not all equivalent, uh, of equivalent value. Your opinion on what should be done for someone suffering from a brain hemorrhage is of lower value than that of a better qualified brain surgeon. So I suppose the, uh, the example here is saying, well, you can have an opinion about the afterlife or 
God and that kind of stuff. It doesn't really necessarily make you an expert. I would say that anybody at least I, – I can respect someone, let's say, religious proselytizers like you know the Jehovah Witnesses that came to my door and tried to convert me. At least in their case, they have to know their shit. Their opinion, I would say at least, is more interesting to me than someone who's just like, oh, yeah, I'm religious. I occasionally go to church. I'm like, you suck. At least these fucking people, they're trying to understand their ludicrousness. You're just following. You are a fucking blind follower. It wouldn't even matter what religion. You could be born somewhere else where it's just as nutty and crazy to throwing babies off fucking buildings and watching them bounce. Be like, this is sacred. It could just be that ridiculous. You could be ripping hearts out of people to make the sun rise, all kinds of nonsense, and you won't even care. You'll be like, yeah, that's the way to do it. Why would there be any other way? I won't question nothing. So when it comes to those types of people, I'm like, there's nothing to be done about you. Who cares? At least the ones that are concerned with that shit, study it. These are the people that you can have a conversation with because, number one, at least you'll learn something from that conversation because they have an agenda. They have a goal. You can learn from that goal. You can figure out, like, what exactly are they trying to accomplish and what way are they trying to accomplish this? You will learn a lot having a debate. Never walk away from a debate that you have from, like, Mormons or Jehovah Witnesses. I don't care what. Do not turn them away. Fucking talk to these people, all right? Figure out what makes them tick. Why do they believe? You know, you should know these things. You should try to find out as much as possible what, why each individual believes because you'll, you'll know something. It's very different for different people. So it's important to understand those things, to really, in my opinion, almost empathize. I found that the best times where I, I really seemed to strike a chord with, with the people that came over to my house was being able to identify some of the reasons why they were religious and then attempt at least to turn that around or, or, or make them see a bit of a broader version of it. Like saying, well, if you really feel that human beings, like it, that it's beautiful that human beings cooperate and you assume that that is the product of a god, imagine at least for the moment that you're – that this is a wrong assumption and that merely – due to our evolution, um, that there was, a, there, there was a competitive advantage for us to be cooperative, for us to care about one another, for us to have empathy, for us to care, uh, for us to want to comfort and love. All of these things are actually contingent. They're natural. They arise themselves. That, for me, is so much more grand a vision. Isn't that amazing? That is wonderful. I don't have to postulate something improvable in order to be able to feel good about that. I feel good about it now. It's happening. It's real. Human beings are mostly good. Wow, that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> let's have a conversation about how that came along, but let's not sort of close the book and say, oh, well, the reason is because it reflects this, you know, deity, this anthropomorphized being that I've decided lives in the sky for some fucking reason. <laughs> All right, let's move on to the other one. Um, his other statement is, here's how you might argue. If somebody says, I believe that the world is flat, it's not the same thing as, I believe that red is nicer than blue. The first, the first statement contains two points. One, that the world is flat, and two, that you believe it's true. The first point can be tested by seeing whether your definition of flat is consistent with, a, with what flatness is, a.k.a. reality. If you maintain a position inconsistent with the reality, then you simply misunderstood what other people mean when they say flat. Atheism versus theism also has a testable element that is not a question of taste. Your faith that God is real is not questioned. You have just misunderstood what people mean when they say real. So I suppose what, this is a little bit confusing, mm, but yeah. uh, I'm going to try to read into this one. Uh, I think what he's trying to mean is that sometimes when you have a discussion with someone, the, the, uh, the definition can be a little bit murky, let's say, right? Um, 
Oh, yeah. So, uh, for example, if you're having a conversation with someone and, and they're like, I believe God is everything. No, right. Well. He's a bowl of oatmeal. What the fuck does that mean? That mean nothing. Yeah. <laughs> You've said precisely zero. I mean, if, if God is another word for matter, then sure, I believe in God. But that's not what that word means. Uh, we can't have a conversation if you're going to redefine the term we're arguing every for every single argument you have. Pick a definition of what it means to be a god or a deity or for there to be something supernatural, and then we'll argue it. But you have to establish the definition. Yeah, well, you can understand why most religious people are not interested in doing that. You quantify it, now you have to defend it, and it's going to be easy to poke holes in it. I mean, the Greeks were doing it 2,000 years ago effortlessly. <laughs> Epicurus pretty much said it all. You know, if he says, uh, if there is evil in this world and God is, is good, then is he omnipotent or is he cruel or is he not omnipotent because he can't stop evil? It's like these are these points just destroy it. It's pretty damn easy. Of course, if you have a nebulous concept of saying, well, he works in mysterious ways or you don't really get him. He's not bound by our laws and things like that. Now, now it's so murky. It really is the murkiest thing in the world. The definition it's no good. You can't have a debate with that definition. The other thing I think he was trying to uh, point out, other than the fact that I think in a lot of discussions, you have to make sure that the definitions are at least agreed upon. Otherwise, dis, you know, it's completely useless to have that conversation. Uh, I think the other thing that he was trying to say is that when you make a statement that is an opinion rather than a statement of fact, the statement of opinion can't really be verified. If I say I prefer, you know, I believe that blue is a superior color to red, it's not something that really can be quantified, so it doesn't really matter. This is a personal opinion. Um, now, on the other hand, if a person says, well, uh, this sh shirt is blue, <laughs> now I have to prove that. Why is it blue? How, you know, is it blue? It could be a completely different color. That, at least, is testable to some degree, right? We understand where, where color comes from. Sure, that whole, oh, maybe red for me is, is different for you. No. No, your rods and cone functions exactly the same, uh, except for with some minute differences. And we understand the spectrum of light. We know how colors work. Take a prism, break apart light. Hey, there's a whole bunch of different colors, and they come in a sequence. <laughs> and you can fucking recognize the sequence by the color. So if you want a little color test, take out a prism. See if everybody recognizes the same colors. Turns out it looks like they do. <laughs> Why? Because, well, it would, it would be really ineffective if every fucking person saw colors in different ways. It would be kind of dumb. So let's get over this whole, oh, you know, it might be completely, my experiences might be completely different. Please. I mean, we're practically clones of one another. Really? Genetically, there is so little difference. I mean, most other species have a lot more variation. We are boring. We are just fucking so closely related. We're all cousins. It's disgusting. <laughs> okay, so what's his last point? Okay, so his last point is just, uh, I guess it's more like faith. Really? I use the show me method to decide what to believe. So show me why faith is a better strategy. Come on, sell it to me. Convince me. So I guess that's his sort of version of me like, yeah, prove to me that faith is important. <laughs> Which I think is an interesting, uh, you know, sort of like turning the tables around. Although I'm not entirely sure you're going to get answers you're very satisfied with. Yeah. I think the answer, I mean, if somebody asked me thinking back, you know, why is faith important? It's, it, you would easily fall into that circular logic thing where you're like, well, God tells us that we need to have faith to enrich our lives. And, you know, faith only works when there's a God, and God only works when there's faith, so now we're stuck in kind of a pattern. It's a, it's a bit of a loop. It's, yeah. not, it's not a very exciting loop. It's like my crazy beliefs justify my other crazy beliefs that justify the original crazy beliefs. <laughs> 
Case, Very convenient. Yeah, case closed. <laughs> uh, the last letter I want to read, because I, I guess that pretty much sums it up. So if anybody else has any sort of comments on faith that they want to put up, maybe have us discuss it once in a while. I think it would be fun. Uh, I can't force you all to send things at around the times that I want, but I'll collect them, and every once in a while I'll bring them up. If somebody writes me a, a great email and something that might make a good subject for the show, I said, fuck yeah, uh, why the hell not? There was somebody else that sent me, uh, an, an, not an email, but this was in one of the comments, the uh, Andy Scott Broadcast Scholarship, which I thought was kind of relevant, where uh, one a person by the name of Brittany was trying to make her case for why she should be uh, a member, which, and she makes a damn good case. Uh, there's lots of people that do make good cases. It almost makes me feel like a bleeding vagina that I'm going to give everybody a goddamn membership. But <laughs> I have to be realistic. <laughs> now, she asks, I'd really love to ask you guys some questions sometimes about religious rights of minors. What can I do? What can I, uh, I want to get involved, but I simply don't know how. Well, it's funny that you mention this because I was reading in the news recently that the Secular Student Alliance has funded, has started a campaign and funded 50 new atheist high school clubs in the United States, raising their amounts to about 250. In the notes, I've included a link to uh, the Secular Student Alliance. I believe it's. Sec- uh, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not even going to tell you what the website is because I'm just I'm going to do disservice. It's secularstudents.org. That's what it is. <laughs> so go to the site and get in communication with these uh, the, this organization. They can help uh, you get started. Don't ask me how to do it. I don't know how to do it. I haven't been in high school for a very long time. And in my high school, it wouldn't have actually been a big deal to have an atheist club. It would have just been like, yeah, so what? Who gives a shit? But for everybody else who's out there who's in school, and I know there's a lot of listeners that are pretty young and in high school, and you're wondering, I want to get involved or I want to do something. What can I do? These organizations exist, guys. They are out there. And, you know, we're talking right now with Carissa Hendricks, who's a super keener when it comes to (laughs) clubs and organizations. How hard is it to start one, really, honestly? Well, I mean, it it is a little difficult. When I was uh, in high school, I started an organization called the Da Vinci Society, which was basically a by-youth, for-youth organization driven by the intent to teach ourselves things that we felt that were interesting. So, um, you know, we'd bring in a lecturer one week on Roman history because we had all voted and decided that was interesting to us, and we did fundraisers and things like that. And uh, the way that that organization was successful for me was that I started with um, four people in my social group who I knew wanted to do something similar. So, Brittany, if I were you, um, what I would do is try and find a couple people who are interested and inspire them just with your passion. If you're really excited, they'll get excited. Um, And then, yeah, go find this organization, get some help from them, and then you can bring in a club. The nice thing about doing youth clubs when you're growing up is that it'll better condition you to the way that reality is. Um, in in grown-up world, which I don't really live in, so I can't speak to totally, <laughs> but in the majority of grown-up world, um, you don't hang out with people all your own age group. You don't hang out with people who have widely different interests that are just stuck in a room together. You hang out with people because you have common interests, and uh, there are a variety of different ages. And running a youth group, I know that you know the ages will be sort of similar. There's going to be people there who are 15. There's going to be people there who are 19, 20 usually. And that's going to give you an opportunity to get a better social understanding of the way the world works and put you really ahead of your peers in terms of your leadership skills and your, your ability to, um, uh, I don't know, just, just get your way in a, in a social society, basically. <laughs> <laughs> I like that advice. Well, um, definitely the, the key is 
you can never do anything alone. You need people. Mm-hmm. You need people. I mean, uh, this project, even the Good Atheist, I would have never been able to do this alone. It doesn't make any sense. You never feel quite right when you just do it by yourself. So you, you have to. You do have to find people that are like-minded. Now it might be difficult at first because you, maybe you don't know other people that are in your uh, school that are atheists. Maybe they don't make themselves really. Uh, known vocal, and I know that you're probably writing this. You're probably coming to the, the the end of your high school career, and you think to yourself, "Oh, you know, what's the point of starting a group? I I don't know anybody that that's going to join, so on and so forth." Don't forget the kind of benefit, the kind of legacy you can at least leave to the people that are younger, that are going to benefit from what you build, even though you might not gain anything from it. Even say like by the time it's over, maybe school's done, and you're like you move on, but it's going to benefit that those those other kids that are coming into it. You you just you you have to put into your mind sort of this aspect of being like I must do something that isn't just for me it's for other people as well and once you, I think you put yourself in that perspective and you get other people to feel that way too I think the rest kind of starts coming a little bit easier now this organization will give you more guidance than I can provide mm-hmm. I, they 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 know how it's done and they there's definitely places uh, that are you know uh, very closed to the idea you know where certain Certain secu- some of the secular groups are uh, have hidden meetings. They don't even tell their school because they know that it would be a big deal and that kind of stuff. So maybe even even if your school is that kind of school, you can still try to do something. You can still try to reach uh, reach out because it's worth it. It's definitely worth it. If you feel alone, and I know you probably do, if you're listening to my fucking voice, you're probably feeling slightly alone. Be like, oh no, I have to listen to Jake because no one around me thinks the same way I do. There are plenty of people. It's just sometimes they're hard to find. But groups like this, organizations like that, they're built to find those people. That's what's so great about it. So it's like field of dreams. You build it, they will come. They the will other come. option you have is something like uh, meetup.com or CFI. So meetup.com is an online resource for finding groups with different interests. If you go on there, type in your city and then atheist, you'll be able to find uh, local groups meeting in your area, and a lot of the meetings will be in non-alcoholic, no minors allowed areas. So you can go to some of the coffee shop meetings, and that's a good way of getting um, getting interest. And you're going to be hanging out with people a little bit older than you, but there will be a contingent of people that are in you know late high school or in their early college years. The other thing is uh, Center for Inquiry has monthly meetings in most cities, and some of those are in pubs, but uh, the majority of them are lectures at universities that you'll be able to attend. So maybe you're not um, ready to take on the responsibility of becoming the leader for all this. You can still take advantage of a lot of the organizations and meetings that are going on right now, meet like-minded people, and uh, and maybe maybe that's the first step. Maybe you see what those organizations are doing, and then you can decide whether or not you want to get involved and uh, and carry that torch, so to speak. <laughs> All right, let's move on. Uh, so thanks for your letter, and uh, and hopefully Andy will uh, will will choose wisely. I don't know if he'll choose you, but uh, <laughs> you, you definitely are a candidate. So uh, before we uh, before we move on, I, I have to explain what we're going to be talking about because it's not necessarily obvious to everybody. If I tell you we're going to be talking about theory of mind, because this word has been sort of like popping up all over the place. I was uh, watching an old video uh, from uh, from 2009 by uh, from a guy by the name of Robert uh, Sapolsky, who uh, just looks like quite the character, gigantic beard, crazy curly hair. Uh, and he was a primatologist, so he studied uh, primates and, uh, and uh, neuroscience, I believe. And he talks a lot about uh, one of his lectures, and I, I put it up in my favorite. So if you go to my Facebook profile, you'll see it as well. But I also have the link in the notes. If you, if you watch the, uh, the entire 
lecture that he gives, he talks about how are human beings unique. Or in, in their words, we, we like to think that we're unique as a species and unique-er than the uniqueness of other species because every species is unique. You know, a bee is very unique. A termite is very unique. A horse is very unique. Uh, we are no different from these animals, but we like to think that we're unique-er. And he points out the ways in which that's true. One of the ways that's true, and I think this is a, this is a kind of thing that you guys would be interested in because it, it, it lends itself to discussions about why people believe so if you look at theory of mind, it's essentially our ability to abstract thought, to, to, to see intentionality in others. Uh, the way it works in primates, for instance, according to the example of Sapolsky, is to say if you, there was a room where uh, two apes were on opposite sides of the rooms and they could see uh, a banana. And one ape was very wimpy, uh, submissive ape, and the other one was a dominant ape. Now, if that banana is only within the view of the weaker ape, he will go for the banana because he realizes the bigger ape doesn't see the banana, so I can go for it. If, however, the banana is visible, he'll know that the big brute's going to go for it, and, he's, and he will do nothing. So he's able to find out what is going on in another ape's mind by thinking, oh, he sees the banana. So he understands, he, he has a, 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 a very primitive form of theory of mind. Now, the way that it's different for human beings is... We can do that with almost anything. And one of the examples that was used in a Slate article about theory of mind was an interesting movie called uh, The Balloon. Uh, it's a French movie, and essentially it's a little kid who becomes best friend with a balloon. And at <laughs> one point, uh, he's in this apartment where there's this old lady, and I think she's yelling at him or something like that. And the balloon looks like it's about to fly out the window, but for some reason it doesn't. It just it looks like it's being held back by something. And when you watch the movie, the one thing you start realizing, or or you uh, you read into it, is like, oh my god, God, the balloon doesn't want to leave his friend behind. He's trying <laughs> to prevent himself from going out the window. You feel sympathy for the balloon. It's inevitable. That's the genius of this movie. You will feel it. And that's not something other species are able to do. And we can do it uh, on, on all kinds of levels. We can take – they did this famous study where they took um, a, a movie. These scientists took a movie of, of a triangle, a square, and a circle, of just having them move about. And they asked people to identify what was happening in the movie. And people gave intentionality to the objects. They were like, well, the square is trying to seduce the circle. <laughs> and, uh, and the triangle is very pushy, very violent. <laughs> like, These are geometric shapes just moving. <laughs> And yet we saw intentionality. Now, the article asks, is it possible, and I think this is probably the, 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 the part that applies to us, is it possible that our ability to have this sort of protracted theory of mind apply itself to belief in God? Like, we see intentionality in things. If something falls or something happens, we're like, things happen for a reason, right? No, they happen because physical forces acting on one another lead to action A, that causes action B and so on and so forth. But we see intentionality because that's how we're programmed to work. And if you wonder why we're like that, think about the importance of intentionality or theory of mind in your own life, where you have to remember that Paula is in love with Bill, who's secretly in love with Ted. <laughs> <laughs> but Ted doesn't know it. You know, there's a lot of levels going on here. This is really complicated theory of mind going on. You're abstracting a lot of thoughts. You're keeping a lot of different um, entities in your mind, and you're anticipating what they think and how they're going to react. So naturally, you would expect that there would be some bleed over to that, that we would see that in 
you know, uh, objects, for instance, or why it's so easy for us to anthropomorphize um, computer animations, like, say, Toy Story. Did you not cry in almost every Toy Story? It's hard <laughs> not to, right? Especially the last one, those oh, manipulative so bastards. So good. Fuckers. Yeah. Crying like a baby here. So, and these are just... They're, they're, they're computer animation. They don't look human at all. I mean, except for maybe Woody with a gigantic head and Buzz Lightyear. But apart from that, you are uh, feeling emotions for objects. Now, imagine you are in any other species and you're watching this movie, right? Let's say you're even really intelligent, but you have no theory of mind. If you would watch the balloon or you would watch those shapes or you watched any interaction with people, just the fact of acting, right, where a human being is pretending to be someone else, if you don't get that, then it's almost like you're autistic and you, don't, you can't focus on what's happening, right? You lose focus and you look at one corner of the room and be like, is that the interesting thing that's happening? <laughs> Where all these other agents are interacting, but you don't care because your theory of mind is busted. Let's say that's the way you work. You can imagine how important then theory of mind really is for human beings when you put, that, put it into perspective like that and how easily hackable it is uh, and, and, and how it might be misleading, when you're a kid, what do you fear? Oh, shadows, fucking coat hangers that make funny shapes and those, those kinds of things. You, you see intentionality in those objects. As you grow up and you realize, no, uh, you, know, you get a little bit wiser, you realize this is just a weird shadow. Not everybody totally grows out of it. <laughs> <laughs> Some people continue to fear something they can't see and something that has absolutely no physical substance in this universe, but you still see intentionality. And you want it, I think, to some degree. You want to believe that there is some intentionality because to some degree, I think that, and this is probably our biggest problem, our biggest delusion, we'd like to think that the world is fair. We want to think that uh, we're not here for no reason and uh, that everything has a purpose. And it's a very sweet thing to think about. I'm like, aw, isn't that sweet? But it ain't so. Sorry. I don't want to burst anybody's bubble here, but No. Luckily, so just so I don't end on a downer, because I feel like I'm ending on a downer. <laughs> Luckily, I, th I think to some degree, something like um, purpose, I've always said this, is just something that you can choose for yourself. That's the beauty of it. You're like, well, there are tons of uh, things that you can choose from. Really, you have a choice. Hopefully, you live in a world where you have a choice. And uh, you can exercise that choice and decide, well, what is uh, something that, can, can, that I can find purpose in? Because you, the need is still there. Don't deny the need just because it isn't true. Your brain has evolved that way. You just have to kind of compensate for it. There's nothing wrong with having a goal and a purpose. Look around you. Look fucking around you. There's tons of things that you can do to enrich your life, help others, have a purpose. These things are not incompatible. You don't need to believe in a fucking sky fairy to think that a purpose can exist. It just hasn't been decided for you yet. You get to make that choice. And I think that's the most exciting thing about us. That's the, mo that's the uniquest aspect of us. We get to choose. So figure out what the fuck you're going to do with that because uh, there's not a lot of other species that can do it. So don't take it for granted. <laughs> <laughs> I think, yeah, it's a natural desire to to want to believe that there is a purpose to life. But the reality is, I mean, this is what really helped me get over that whole idea was that I thought for a second, you know, what's the meaning of life? What's the meaning of life? Even though I'm an atheist, I still want to believe that there's like a general meaning and purpose and maybe I can find it in a, in a secular way. Until I realized that... Even if there was, or I could convince myself there was, that would not fundamentally change the way I live my life. 
it's not a worthwhile pursuit to try and intellectualize and think about whether or not there is a general purpose to existence. You're right. It is more important to understand more specifically in terms of your life, in terms of how do you want to look back at your life and say, yeah, I did the things that I set out to do. But yeah, it, it, it's maddening to try and figure out what the general purpose of life is. Well, it's, it's, it's maddening only if you decide that, I mean, there really is one purpose if you could identify it. It's to replicate itself. Life, your, the, the very bits that make up your body, the DNA, it's not alive. It's just a self-replicating molecule, and it's really, really good at what it does, and that's why you're around. But, that's I mean, it's a weird around. combination because, yes, I mean, the purpose of, of organisms and a lot of things are to are to replicate. But then there's also this other purpose in terms of, like, physics and, and other natural circumstances that are, that are reflection, a reflection of this desire of, for homeostasis to find order out of chaos. And our brains do it and our lives do it and our universe and our physics does it. So, I mean, you know, okay, we can say that the purpose of life is to replicate or is the purpose of life to, to derive order from randomness? Or is it both? It doesn't fucking matter. Because even if you could decide that one of those things was the purpose of life, it wouldn't fundamentally change the way you live yours. It's not a worthwhile pursuit. But you see, in, in a sense, I see that whole, we're trying to create order from chaos. Again, I boil it down to just a, a very sophisticated and organized molecule that replicates itself, that tries to fight against entropy, does so very effectively, and uh, that's why you're around. That's why you're around. And that's the feeling, all the feelings, the very complicated emotions, and everything that's happening around you is just in order to maintain this organism whose sole purpose is to replicate. And, uh, and you don't, here's the crazy thing though D DNA is in every living thing. So if you don't make it like 99.9% .9 of all the other species, uh, no one's going to care. <laughs> no one will care. But uh, I'm saying that at least you can have a good run at it and you have the uniqueest ability to uh, to just say, to, to, to even say, I don't really want to play your game, DNA. I just want to do my thing. I'm just going to do my thing. Fuck you. I'm not, I'm not even going to replicate. Fuck off. <laughs> and kite surf and sleep on the beach. Yeah, that's, that's a life that you can choose. You can just choose to tell your DNA that you're not interested in its little mind games with you. Yeah. You've got, other, you've got plenty of other life that's going to do it for you. The bacteria that's going to eat you. The worms that are going to fucking poop you out. They got lots of plans. They're very, very stubborn and, and, and creatures that will just push and push and push to live and survive. They just work really hard. I don't know if I want to work that hard as an organism. The inside of your brain's kind of gross, isn't it? Just all the time. It's just there's a lot of gross, gross things you suppress. You're like it's the gross. worms that are gonna poop you out. That's the meaning of existence. Wow. Okay. I'm just being realistic. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to, uh, you know, I don't want to be a downer here, but that's what's gonna happen. Remember what I was saying uh, the other day, where. Uh, if you want to, if you feel like as if you're really special and you're like, oh, why am I the way that I am? Uh, I'm like, well, you're you're a bag of mostly water. You're a sponge that came out of the water, a walking gross ass sponge. <laughs> That's what you are. You're disgusting. You're mostly water. You're biological. You leave traces of yourself everywhere. Like when you dust your fucking house, that's you. That's your f fleshy bits. Even just looking at a person, you're seeing mostly dead cells. Their skin. That's all dead. It's like a fucking zombie, man. Zombie flesh all over the place. As a biological entity, you are disgusting. 
for just the, re- the record, it. this is how he talks to me all the time. This is my pep talk every morning. You're a gross, disgusting bag of spongy disgusting tissue. Disgusting sponge monkey. Stop leaving your tissues all over the house. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks. I can't help it. I think weirdly. Okay, well, you know what? I, we're going to call that a show. Uh, for the next show, the bonus show, I'm actually doing it on Scientology. I've been asking some people, if you have questions that you want answered, because I'm, I'm studying it quite a bit, I really want to make the next show a good one. And Scientology has been in the news. People are talking about it. So I want the, the bonus show to be really good. It's also going to be free for anyone who's a freebie member, the ones that sort of sign up and get stuff for free. This one's going to be free, too. So if you're not a member yet, go to the site, register. It is free if you don't want to pay for it. And once in a while, I throw some shows, and Scientology will be that show. But I want people to ask questions. Ask me what you want to know, and I'm going to try to find out. That's what I'm going to try to do. Yay. Does that sound good? And uh, I'd like to thank everybody that's already a contributing member, uh, thanking uh, Andy for his generosity. If you want to do the same thing, I invite you to, please. If you, have some, if you want to donate more, but you feel like, oh, well, where's my donation money? It will go directly to, other, to sponsor others. I mean, I don't mind. It's a cool way to do it, and everybody likes it. You know, I, I find that there's pl- if you read some of the comments and you hear what some of the people are saying in terms of, like, I want one, and you read their story, and you're like, fuck, I want to give them all one. <laughs> well, that option is available to you if, if you really love the site and you want to sponsor even more. Please. Uh, it, it's working out great. Everybody's loving it, and it's, it's, it's almost, surprisingly enough, it's growing the community stronger. Uh, and... Uh, that can only be a good thing. I have this fantasy in my head that, you know, somebody on your site is going to inherit all this money from their super religious aunt. And then they're going to be like, <laughs> yeah. I'm going to donate a bunch of money and give away some memberships to spite her. Oh, yeah. In my, in my head. That's yeah. a beautiful story. That is pretty fucking that cool. Well, we'll see. We'll see. With that, my name is Jacob Fortan. And I'm Chris Hendricks. Have a good Atheist Day, everybody.